Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Yahan Kamsezade. Yahan is author of the new book, The Psilocybin Connection. This guy is an amazing guest. We talk all about psilocybin mushrooms, and basically, he just knows so much about them, and uh, he'll tell you his background so you guys can get to know him a bit. It's a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Check me out on Instagram at NoorKidWai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Calm to Hear Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Yahan Kamsezade. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here today with Jahan Kamsezade. Jahan, thanks for joining me, bro. Thanks, brother. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Man, this is uh, this is going to be fun. Like uh, you're 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 an author of the new book, uh, the Psilocybin Connection. So let's just uh, throw that out there right off the bat. But basically, uh, you talk so much about psychedelics, and you have such a wealth of experience in psilocybin mushrooms. So like, I love this topic. This is going to be a blast for me, and I hope my uh, audience uh, does too. Uh, maybe you can give my audience a little bit about your background of uh, kind of like all the different studies you've kind of done to get where you are right now. Totally. Yeah, I've been uh, working with psychedelics now for 20 years. He really changed my life, especially at the age 18. Went in first as a neuroscience major, then physics and math. And then a mushroom journey said to leave physics and study mysticism. The closest I can get that with a kind of university setting was philosophy. So I got the bachelor's in that, the master's in the doctors in consciousness. And the doctors was in philosophy, cosmology, consciousness. And during that time, I was aware that psychedelics were the most transformative experiences in my life. So I decided to go all in. I did several major trainings in that topic, including working with the Mazatec Mushroom Tradition, assisted for two years at the Psychedelic Certificate Training at CIIS. I did Hakomi, a two-year somatic psychotherapy training. And since then, I've helped three other psychedelic guides trainings, both talks and uh, working through the curriculum. Now I do this work legally in uh, Jamaica with Otman Retreats. And as you mentioned, I wrote the book, um, which was my dissertation. So it was like five years focusing, synthesizing all the research and presenting presenting it out there. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, that's such a cool uh, background you got. Uh, I like uh, you studied in university. You even went and like started trying to study a little mysticism, consciousness. <laughs> I- I'm actually like so curious, like how does that study of that in university, how does that compare to like what we in like the psychedelic community might kind of look at like, or even the spiritual community might look at like consciousness or myst- mystical experience? Like how do they talk about that in an academic setting? Yeah, it's different per school and culture. So I went to the University of Arizona and it was far more, you could say, Western approach and academic and without really the spiritual underlining. And so I had to come out even further west to California if I wanted to get go to graduate school for consciousness. There's only like four accredited schools where you can study that. And I wanted one that had a spiritual paradigm. And for the people wanting to know more, like I was an atheist and I took psychedelics, you know, it's like mushrooms really helped me see like we live in a spiritual reality. So I wanted all my studies to have that context. 
And so I found that a lot, both at JFK University and in the California Institute of Integral Studies, that the people came at this in a very kind of transformative way that were they were is very experiential, still grounded in, in spirituality, but also really synthesize all the science. Like we're also looking at this as an evolutionary context. Like we develop as humans within our lives. But this whole larger interplay of the Big Bang till now, including psychedelics role, is part of a spiritual unfolding. Mm, I love I love that a lot, man. And uh, yeah, you did say like you're you were like atheist until you kind of discovered psychedelics, your first mushroom trip. And I, you did write about it mm. on your website uh, about your trip uh, at a Tool concert. Uh, it uh that sounds amazing uh, and was it when you went to that tool concert and if you don't know tool it's a very uh mm -hmm. amazing band and uh you just kind of went to that concert where you were planning to take mushrooms or did it just kind of like whatever just like you know someone handed it to you yeah totally uh, pretty much um i went to go pick up a couple friends and on the way to the show uh one of the friends she's a female she's like can we pick up another friend on the way somebody i'd never met so we stopped by his place and he had a bag full of mushrooms and he's like, here you go. <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh, I guess I'm taking mushrooms now. And I, I'm like, hey, this is going to be a really exciting day. Little did I know it was going to be the most transformative day of my whole life. Mm. you know. And so for those that know the lyrics of Tool, it can be very mystical, deeply psychedelic. They're very transformative. And I've been doing a lot of my own kind of existential anxiety kind of processing work of like why the fuck are we here and who are we for a long time and all the pieces kind of clicked together during those few hours at the show yeah that's amazing and then so i guess with your process was mushrooms something that like you've kind of taken yourself to kind of get rid of your own like uh different types of anxiety and depression um and stuff mm -hmm. like that because it seems like this is like now you're kind of into the therapeutic part of mushrooms where you're helping people in that exact uh, in exact place in their lives. So is that what you kind of went through yourself? Yeah, you know, in the beginning, I was very curious and I came from a, like a philosophical lens. So I was coming for like wisdom and knowledge during the first like maybe 10 years. And then, but it was very clear that they were the most healing things in my life. And healing, I think, is a sense of wholeness, both mm. connecting us to ourselves, to the planet, to the universe. Every time we feel more connection, we kind of heal. And then I got more engaged in more like psychedelic psychotherapy in like a therapy setting, aside of just like self-exploration or in a recreational setting. So then you came at it very seriously from a psychological lens of like working with trauma. And so a lot of the people that I work with, they come in for trauma and a lot of tremendous healing happens, but they keep coming back for the self-growth and spiritual development. So it, it, it's it's taken a lot of different forms in my life. And I love mushrooms a lot. They've really helped me heal, but also love all the psychedelics. You know, I focus on mushrooms because I think they're really accessible and they, they're particularly, I think, better at healing than the other medicines. But I've also healed a lot, you know, just to give space with with ketamine, with MDMA, with ayahuasca, with LSD. You know, they've all been very magical. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, the one thing I love how you said is like healing is wholeness. And it, is, is that like not so true? Because I, I just noticed like uh, when I'm when I feel disconnected in my own life and it just like sometimes you go through little cycles of it and like the one thing I need is like, I need daily practices to keep that like wholeness and connection there. But sometimes you get a psychedelic and it just, just pushes you straight into that. 
and uh and that feeling will last mm-hmm. for a little while and it's up to you to keep that mm-hmm. feeling but it is that healing is wholeness that's such mm-hmm. a beautiful way of saying it i love that you know even if we look at the, the body as an analogy if you get like a cut inside of you it's the body coming back into wholeness is the mm-hmm. healing process it's trying to come back into like it's an integrity in its larger form and same, we could say trauma is parts of us are becoming disconnected or not digested and parts of us need to come back and be reintegrated. So there's mm-hmm. definitely this movement towards wholeness that gives us a sense of like safety, groundedness, confidence, you know, a lot of the things we're looking for. That's amazing. So like uh, when I started this podcast, I did it um, after an ayahuasca retreat. So ayahuasca has been a big uh, theme of this whole podcast for me. And I've always like, kind of talk about it and have guests on. And uh, I like how you said, uh, you were saying mushrooms was something that was more healing for you compared to all the other different uh, um, psychedelics you've tried. Uh, Can I uh, ask like, what, uh, what about mushrooms you think uh, resonates with you so much? Yeah, I think if I'm looking at this in a very kind of global context, like literally across the planet of that there's an intelligence here, it's the one that there's over 200 different species, grows on every continent, but Antarctica, it's been accessible throughout human history, you know, and, and there's this big sense of, they found a correlation between there's more of a contact with another intelligence without medicine, particularly, and you know, to people, to put it out there, a lot of the psychedelics, they're, they're more similar than different. Like they're, they're, there's a group called the tryptamines, which is DMT, which includes ayahuasca, LSD, 5-MeO-DMT, and psilocybin. I think they all create a hyper-connected, I mean, the studies show they create a hyper-connected brain state. They all lead towards unity, towards oneness. But mm-hmm. I focus on psilocybin because it's more accessible across the globe, while ayahuasca, which I've gotten a lot out of, a lot of healing and I love a lot, only grows in certain places. So it's not as accessible for people around the world. And it comes with quite a cultural context. Normally it's done in an indigenous influence setting, you know? So the one I went to was a Santo Daime church and we're singing in Portuguese for like five hours, right? So it's somebody mm-hmm. else's context that gets brought into it. There's a lot of Icaros and there's there's a lot of stuff, but it comes from a different culture. While psilocybin now is entering for more of a Western therapeutic psychological lens. So I think it's kind of meets our culture right now and adds less of the baggage, you know, so we're creating the context for it. So I think there's a lot of reasons, even mycelium itself, like the root, the larger body of the mushroom interconnects all the plants in the environment. That's what psilocybin grows out of. So I think by its nature, it, it's meant to be a little bit more deeply healing. But that's, again, it's not to take away the therapeutic potential of any of the other psychedelics. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. And I love how you said, like, we're creating the culture now with the therapeutic aspect of psilocybin that's uh so cool i never even thought about that and you're right like mm-hmm. mushrooms have been are everywhere so like you can yeah. and like it feels like and i know you talk about it in your book a little bit about the kind of like the history of mushrooms and like all of mm-hmm. different cultures and stuff but like it's it, you can probably find it in like almost every kind of culture some sort of thing that you're like ah oh, that seems like a mushroom right there <laughs> but like so let me you're saying like you're uh doing like therapy now and like you i know you say um that you've been in a lot of different therapy trainings and like different mm-hmm. types of guided uh um uh guided trips so i just want to know like uh when you say like now Western culture, we have a way to kind of put mm-hmm. our, have our culture with their therapy. Like, can can you yeah. maybe give me an example or just kind of expand on that a bit? Yeah, totally. When I say Western, this comes from like, you know, I did 
both my bachelor's and a large part of my doctor's was the history of philosophy. And that's kind of the context to give in. It's like a certain kind of culture that grew out of Greece and throughout Europe, it kind of spread throughout the world. And it's one that's really been influenced by science, you know, and, and there's a, there's a shadow. It's also created some disconnection with the world, even though it's trying to study the world. So there's mm. definitely, you know, I think we need to really integrate an ind indigenous way of knowing that's been left out with our current culture. I think that's, that's really huge. But there's a lot that science has given us. You know, if we look at just the science of psilocybin and the neuroscience, how it grows new nerve cells is huge. Um, we know it's 80% effective for treatment-resistant depression, with anxiety, with nicotine and alcohol addiction. So these are theories. We've done these clinical studies over and over. Um, I mean, so it's something else that Western psychotherapy has given us. And I'm pulling that from Ken Wilber. He's this great integral philosopher. And he studied these um, models of development from throughout the world, right? And mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of spiritual development in the East, you know, really focusing on states of consciousness. It's amazing. And there's a lot of indigenous wisdom. But he says something that the Western psychotherapy really brought was the idea of shadow work. Like we've mm -hmm. done a lot of work focusing on trauma. Right. And that's been largely left out of a lot of the other wisdom traditions. You know, for example, more indigenous communities might see trauma more like there's parasitic spirits stuck on your body. Right. And oh, so, okay. like, when you're going to their ceremonial space, instead of working in your biography and working through trauma, they're trying to clean you of the fear and the susto as if there's, you know, you need some kind of exorcism. Right? Oh, okay. And so, right, right, right. So, and then you have, you know, demons and bad spirits and parasites. It's kind of the mythology of so many different uh, historical wisdoms. And not to say there may or may not be truth, but I think Western psychotherapy brings a lot about understanding a person's biography and how it develops. So we can mm. really get to the root of the trauma and integrate the pieces of the people that feel stuck through past experiences. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, because you're talking about like shadow, like, so like, I, I guess that's kind of uh very cool because I guess in a therapeutic uh, lens, like you're trying to bring out the shadow. So bring out something that's like something that's mostly unconscious in everyday life to you. Is that what it is? Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, I love, you know, the line from Carl Jung, the great death psychologist. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate, right? So mm. our shadow, our unconscious, it's always in the background structuring our instincts, our motivations, our thoughts, our feelings. And we, it kind of rules the background, even Freud's idea of, of the larger unconscious. And so our job is to turn the shadow into light, which means bring it into conscious awareness and integrate it. And I think in the doing so, we create more freedom and power. You know, by mm -hmm. integrating our shadow and our fear, we become larger and more resilient and we can, you know, learn even more wisdom. So I think there's a lot of beautiful work in bringing the shadow to light and spending a lot of time with all the hard things. You know, I think it makes us much stronger, resilient individuals. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. Bringing those fears out, and I know what you're saying because I have been like uh, reading a little bit on, uh, like, uh, read this book just lately, "The Way of the Shaman," and it like kind of shows like uh, how shamans, mostly in ayahuasca ceremonies, look at it, and it pretty much looks at exactly the same way you are. So when you're talking about fear mm -hmm. or any of that stuff, they'll be like, mm -hmm. oh, this is more of a parasite or a bad spirit or something like that. And that's how they kind of the lens they look at it through. So yeah. it is interesting how you say we are the Western lens kind of brought about the idea of the shadow. And uh, mm. yeah, I, I guess like uh, what what would be the difference then like in uh, the way like mm. we can use that in a ceremony like with that knowledge that would like mm. kind of help us or help 
us like and like western people maybe heal yeah i mean for example we've gotten really clear that there's ptsd and major amounts of trauma while that hasn't been as apparent for a lot of people in cultures and we understand so much about childhood affects us especially the dynamics with mom and dad you know we've done a lot of work in, in psychotherapy around attachment theory that the first relationships in the world especially with mom impacts your sense of self and your relationship throughout your life and so we can come back to these core wounds and sometimes they're intergenerational they've just been passed down in the family line for so long and really work directly to heal them that being said, to integrate some of that indigenous perspective, you know, any of us have probably done a lot of good amount of psychedelics, have seen a lot of different deities and spirits. There's all these other intelligent forces that seem to be a part of some other world, right? And I think yeah. we've left that out within our Western culture because we haven't really systematically gone to explore altered states, mm -hmm. right? While other people, whether it's deep meditation or levels of mysticism or through psychedelics, They've gone there. They're like, there is another intelligent world. And so I think we're getting there. And I think the science is going to continue to go there. I think there's being some studies right now in the Imperial College of London on, again, within the clinical setting, focusing on DMT entities. When you take a good amount of DMT, you're going to see fucking like other beings, right? And yeah, so yeah. The scientific method is important because if we keep doing the thing over and over and keep getting the same results, that means there's some objective truth to this reality. So I think we're going to slowly start heading in this direction now that it's becoming more legal and accepted. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's a, a study on DMT uh, entities. That's amazing yeah, right. because that would be crazy. Um, just because you see so many or if you hear so many stories of people who take different uh, um, substances and then like the kind of spirits or entities that they see on those substances. And like a lot of times you'll say like, like different substances have their own like different entities or different like flavors right. to them so like that's crazy i love the idea that they're doing their own like little study on it to like all right let's uh let's piss off some scientists here <laughs> yeah yeah it's one of those things for myself like i was again i grew up more atheist as a teen and suicidal and depressed and this is the kind of stuff i wouldn't believe unless i saw like i was mm -hmm. i wouldn't believe in a god until you kind of have this mystical experience and even at an 18, first with salvia divinorum, which is quite an intense psychedelic, this plant lady came out and started talking to me. And your world's just blown. You're like, this should not be possible. How's this real looking woman, three and a half feet tall, made out of plants coming in? And she's like really pissed for some reason. But then you keep having these encounter with these like strange beings that seem to know a lot. You know, yeah. so it's very humbling, you know, kind of recontextualizes our place as humanity within this larger universe. Yeah, and I've heard about the Selvia lady before too. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, I've always heard she's pissed too. Why is she mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So I love this though, like how we're talking, like, um, like you're talking, like we're very trauma informed, um, in Western culture, which I like, and we're talking PS, PS, PTSD anxiety depression and a lot of this can come from like childhood okay. memory and stuff so sure. can you like i know you have such so much background in this so like when we take mushrooms let's say and uh you're healing um we're healing from one of these things like what's going on down below like what's yeah. going on at like a neurological level and like what's going on that like the healing's occurring yeah i'll come at it from the neuroscience spot and then come back to it in psychology so from a neuroscience lens, what happens is we, we have what's called the default mode network in the brain, which is associated with the ego part of the self. And so when you think of me, 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 I, 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 a specific network lights up. 
that network tends to dissolve in the psychedelic states and it creates a hyper-connected brain state in response. So this ego function, this default mode network acts like a, as a suppression for the other parts of you, right? Mm. And so as that sense of self dissolves, the whole brain begins to unify. So it's, it's not so much different that people that have gone really deeply into meditation say, if you keep dissolving what we call the self or ego, you start feeling more connected to everything, right? Mm. So, and, and that sense of self stays there. It's just, it's more translucent to the larger reality. So, and there's a huge correlation I've seen as the brain hyperconnects that you experience unity, not with just yourself, but with the environment, other people in the divine. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen at the root of, as far as I can tell, all trauma is what happens is there's a fractured sense of self. Somebody's identity gets damaged, right? And so whether that's like with your parents, like you feel like you're not enough or you don't belong or you're bad and there's all the shame, you get the self-image that you're not good, that you're broken. And that creates depression. So I've been able to work with hundreds of people in varieties of different contexts. And what I've seen, because most come from depression, depression comes down to, I don't like myself. Something happened, and I've gotten the information, probably from childhood, but from society also, that I'm not good. And if you're forced to be somebody you don't like, you inherently start to become depressed. And you can stay mm -hmm. decades in that. As opposed to you like yourself, you start to feel really confident and good and, and life is pleasurable. And so what happens with psychedelics, it's like they're a deconditioning agent. They kind of wipe the slate clean of who you think you are in the world. And it gives this opportunity of a deeper self to arise. You know, at least what I found with mushrooms, it said like ultimately we are love and light, which creates a, a good sense of self and a sense of wholeness that we're interconnected to anything. So as the fragmentation goes away and we develop a deeper sense of self, all these other pieces start to rearrange and really come become more coherent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. And then like, no, I like how you said like the default network, like when that turns off, that's kind of like your ego turning off, but that that's kind of suppressing other parts of your brain. But then it like when you turn it off, it kind of like goes. And I guess that's kind of the important mm -hmm. thing about like after taking psychedelics is mm -hmm. the whole point of like keeping some sort of practice to yeah. kind of keep that default network kind of, mm -hmm. you know, like at a healthier level, I guess. Totally. I mean, there's been a lot of good work. A good one, Zigzag Zen, is a book came out about 20 years ago that's done well and it showed how spiritual well, psychedelic experiences in the West or in the 60s and 70s inspired people to get into Eastern religions and really develop yoga practices and meditation practices. And I've seen that in my whole life. You know, I've got really into spiritual practices because of psychedelics. There's a synergy there. You know, so many times I've been in psychedelic states and they're like, go back to your meditation practice, right? As, as something daily to keep focusing on. So yeah, I think there's there's quite a way to keep working on that on a daily basis, and I don't think there's a substitute for those deep journeys two to four times a year, you know, really kind of going in and dissolving, and then having the right context for integration, because it can also be very destabilizing, you know, because you're letting go of your identity in the world, that's that, that's a lot, that's a big ask yeah. you know, at times, and so you need to really kind of reform and have maybe a support system if you need it to, to keep in a healthy balance, because that's the point. Yeah. So I, yeah, and like just so I can understand this a little bit better. So when the default network is kind of getting suppressed by the psychedelics, um, mm -hmm. and like you're now opening up a more connective part of yourself. Now, like if I'm getting rid of like, uh, if I'm going in there for like, let's say a really bad memory, like so PS PTSD or something, mm -hmm. yeah. um, now I'm in like a more connected state. How does that help me with uh, dealing with this like past trauma from this memory? Yeah. So 
a lot of the psychedelics are helpful for PTSD, but I think the one that's particularly good is MDMA. So I'll, I'll bring that one into this picture for this moment. And so what MDMA does, it, it turns off the amygdala, the, the fear part of the brain. And the fear causes us to like constantly self-protect. So people with PTSD, normally it's they have a part of them, this very painful experience, normally full of fear, that they can't have a sense to access completely and integrate and digest because it so, feels so unsafe. Mm. So with the MDMA, they finally feel safe. Their body's relaxed enough. They're connected to a therapist. And so now they're, they have a container to feel these really difficult emotions. Right, it could be sadness, it could be grief, it feels shame, but in the state of non-judgment and safety, now it's finally okay to really encounter and, and digest. And other psychedelics can do it too. Psilocybin is the same thing. I'm bringing MDMA because MDMA takes the edge off and takes away fear. That's its main thing. Psilocybin okay. will do it too, but you might just have to face that fear all at once. Right, it's a <laughs> little bit harder. Right, yeah, you might just yeah. be like, "Oh my God, I'm in terror right now," and that's hard. Yeah, and MDMA kind of softens. So I think a big part of psychedelic therapy in the future as it keeps developing, it's going to be a combination of something like MDMA first and then 90 minutes later, bringing in psilocybin. I think they're synergistically work amazing together. Oh, no way. I never even thought about yeah, that. Yeah, for sure, right? Take away the fear. There's no more resistance to the mushroom or all the other content, content that's coming up. Okay. That's uh, that's actually really cool to know. And I, I like uh, how you said that, like you take away the fear and now all of a sudden you can kind of face uh, whatever emotions are there. And like, is that what you kind of think um, like your body needs to do in a sense is like, mm. it needs to process emotions that, that were there from maybe a, like, maybe it was some like huge event that happened to you, or maybe it was just over time from your childhood, whatever things you built up. It's like, you got these emotions kind of stuck in you almost and it like it needs to be processed to be able to kind of release them is would that like would i be explaining that right i think that's right because if you keep processing these stuck parts there's more wholeness there's more of your energy available so you know experientially right now if like you're in a lot of stress and you start like tension your shoulders right mm. to not feel something protect yourself it takes a lot of energy to stay tense mm -hmm. and our psyche is always doing that we're generally a lot of us in some level of contraction and that takes a lot of our energy so as we begin to relax and accept whatever is there we have a lot more resources available but unfortunately the truth of the thing is a lot of our trauma is inherited right? It's generational. The same way we inherit a lot of our physiological structures, we also inherit a lot of our emotional structures, dispositions, defense strategies from our parents and culture. And mm -hmm. so it's not just that the trauma might have happened to you. It could be something that's been passed down the family line. And so in terms of integration, it's like as if you ate something, but it's stuck in your body and it's still stuck like you're in your intestines and it's just there. You know, it, it takes a toll on your body and your being but if you digest the experience, it turns into energy, right? The food turns into and becomes a part of your body. So the hope is to keep integrating more and more. And we're never done. Like more life experiences keep happening. But the more you keep integrating, it seems to be more powerful, the more confident, the more wisdom, the more love, the more your heart begins to open, which I think is a big part reason of this whole human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's like, uh, I like how you said, uh, that you tense up sometimes like I know a lot I did this is something I uh you kind of hit the nail on the head for myself because like I had like uh, I was kind of suffering with like really bad uh, 
back and shoulder pain for like a couple of years and uh everywhere i went to every kind of thing i went to like no one really helped like any chiropractor oh. doctor whatever and it was just like all right it was just like kind of felt like all right take painkillers to numb the pain but i just didn't want to be like that guy right um uh-huh. you know so like uh yeah because i know that's not good like over time but like yeah. I did start hearing which and uh, about psychosomatic therapy, and I know that's something right. that you're into. And like I came across yeah. of uh, neuropath, I think it was called uh, neuropathic pain. If I'm saying that correctly, I might maybe I got that wrong. But like I started seeing a therapist who kind of like uh, expert was an expert in this, and like I started doing like a lot of psychosomatic work where I was like going over my body. And like feeling the different tensions and different pain when it comes up and trying to like, trying to get rid of that fear response by like looking at it calmly, looking at it like in a, in a non-biased way or just like a non-judgmental way and just kind of feeling the pain and just feeling whatever it was and just kind of letting it be. And the amount that I processed over that really like just reduced the pain so much. And, uh, the one thing like you said, it's just like I was living so unconsciously in the point in the way of just like being so unconscious to how tense my body was for so long, yeah. where like how you were saying, like sometimes your shoulders are just up and tense and like uh, you're just trying to you're doing that unconsciously just to not feel something. But that's going to cause pain down the road and it's going to deplete so much of your energy. Right. So it was, uh, I don't know, that was such a crazy uh, experience. And I guess like psychosomatic is like uh, that kind of therapy is also something you um, have a background in. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did a two years, really nice, comprehensive uh, somatic psychotherapy training. And aside from psychedelics, I would say the next most effective kind of therapy is somatics. It works really directly with the body. And then also Tantra, which is kind of sexuality, but also working directly with the body and opening the life force. And this is because trauma and emotions are all held in the body. You know, our feelings aren't somewhere else. They're stored in the body. So if a feeling gets stuck, it gets stuck in our muscle systems and in our intestines. And so we need to get those out to move back to like a relaxed, more peaceful and clear state. What I've seen in, again, I I can't share just how magical it's been like. I've seen people in psychedelic experiences let go of body tension they've been holding for years, whether mm. their back, their hips, you know, their shoulder has been in deep pain. They've gone to chiropractors. They've done all the things. And all of a sudden during the journey, it fucking relaxes and goes away. Right. It's not a guarantee that that's going to happen. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we fall down and we actually need a surgery, right? There's times where a, a physical response like a chiropractor massage is necessary but if it's emotionally caused you know the way to work through that is through the emotions like processing and moving through the emotions so it's been amazing how people i've seen a lot of physical healing actually happen from the psychedelic work yeah that's amazing uh i couldn't uh, yeah i could imagine that and like you were saying uh psychosomatic is our somatic is something that you also think is very healing and then you also said tantra too so like yeah. uh What's the difference? Because I know, I guess somatic healing is more of like body awareness, right? Yeah. yeah. So Tantra is, you know, approach first developed kind of from a line of Hinduism, but it's kind of really kind of recognizing us as really as sexual beings. I mean, you are born out of sexual energy, you know, a union of a mother and father and 
even when Western therapy, it's like the ideas Freud of a libido kind of just infuses your entire psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, even Maslow's hierarchy of needs and these stages of motivations, he puts sex down there with like physical survival. It's it's a constant part of our motivations, right? Um, and it's also sense to be a deep part of our wholeness. So the worst trauma I've seen in all the varieties so far is sexual trauma. Normally it's some level of molestation or people crossing boundaries at a young age from somebody they trust. And so it's our life force, right? And so when that it gets stunted or repressed or held back or skewed, it affects our self-esteem, how intimate we can be get be others, our sense of rejection, our sense of safety, our sense of belonging. Right. And so what I've seen is um is people move into like even mystical states that can be very orgasmic. So I think reclaiming somebody's sexual power and energy is a huge part of of being whole and happy and healthy. Right. And so it's again, it's life force moving through your body. So if it gets stuck somewhere, we know we can feel a little crooked in many ways, like our, our body starts to hold tension. And a part of what we're trying to do, just like the orgasm kind of does is release that tension so it can be more available for everyday life experiences. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Um, and like I know in like Tantra, though, like they want you to like hold the orgasm, though, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, it's a little different for males and females. For the masculine, it's the whole point is still keep cultivating sexual energy, like masturbate, feel really good with it, but don't ejaculate because it's kind of a letting go of your charge. So the whole point is like we have a battery, at least for the males, and you keep building the battery and the energy over and over, and then you consciously let go. So there's a way of, you know, that practice, squeezing the muscles, breathing really help, pulling the energy up when you finally orgasm, and it just gives you a much heightened orgasm mm. and it's much stronger and lasts a lot longer. Mm. While for the females, just like the way they kind of have their periods and the body's constantly cleansing and moving through, for them, it's actually healthier to keep orgasming. It kind of cleans mm. them out. You know, So it's a little bit of a different approach for masculine and feminine, but there's still a focus on building that sexual charge or life force with yourself, with others, with the world. You know, because mm. that kind of perspective is you're always making love with the world. That's what's going on. Love is creating this whole thing. They're seeing the world as a large sexual interplay you know, with you in reality. Yeah. And I know like, uh, even like when an ayahuasca retreat, they'll tell you like, don't like, don't masturbate before like, uh, like at least a week or two, like keep that sexual charge. Like, like it keeps your energy up. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's for me. I was like, if, you know, for example, if a guy ejaculates four day, times in a day, like he'll feel depleted and his motivation's gone and shame comes up like, what am I doing with my life, right? So there's <laughs> a sense of yeah, like, yeah. it gives you a sense of force and power, right? So you can learn how to work with that energy directly. And while for a feminine person, it's more like radiant in essence, they want to feel beautiful and then feeling like orgasmics is very attractive. It feels very good for their system. And it tends to, I'm bringing this in because it tends to come up a lot in these uh, psychedelic states. So Stan Groff, he's been a big researcher in this field for about 50 years. He said psychedelics catalyze what he calls holotropic states of consciousness, states that organically self-organize into healing. So they create states that move more into wholeness. And for a lot of us in our culture, sexuality and sexual energy has been repressed, either because of culture or because of traumas Mm. and so anything that's repressed starts to come up it could be fear anger including positive feelings like a lot of pleasure feelings so that tends to come up from itself so kind of having this tantric lens gives a sense of safety and ethical boundaries really Mm. to work with people in that state of like they can feel their wholeness the pleasure it's very healing 
you know, like for example, somebody that's depressed isn't feeling pleasure very much, right? Dopamine is low, right? So pleasure can be very healing and motivating. So it's you're creating permission for people to feel their sexual energy that can re-energize them and re-motivate them in their lives. No, oh, that's amazing, man. Uh, I love that. I really do. Uh, like one thing I did want to ask you about, um, like I, I kind of see like the kind of place where psychedelics in our society in the future right now, like just because like, I feel like we, especially with young people, like it, we kind of feel like I'm, we're in an age where like a lot of people don't have a lot of meaning in their life. And like, we're kind of in an age where technology is changing. So like, even like, especially with like men, like they're used to be able to easily go out and get a job and like be able to provide for a family. And like, they had like kind of their own, like what they're supposed to do with like an identity that like they can be proud of almost. And it just feels like right. now I've met so many young men, which is just like tragic where it's just like, they don't have that. They don't have any meaning really. And uh, yeah. they kind of given up because like, you know, like, you know, and like, a part of that is a self thing that they're giving up on like themselves and that's their own decision. But a part of it's mm -hmm. also like as a society, I feel like it's kind of let them down. And like, mm -hmm. do you, do, do you think like psychedelics and really do provide like a little bit of a role and especially even mm -hmm. giving people meaning, like trying to get meaning yeah. back to people's lives? A hundred percent, you know, so if I look at depression, for example, it's an epidemic that's becoming larger throughout the world. It's an epidemic for sure in, in Western societies with Europe and increasing a lot with the United States. And it's the highest cause right now of people feeling debilitated and definitely like suicidal, right? And again, I'm saying depression, what I found at the root is I don't like myself. So there isn't a sense of meaning and hope, right? And this has been psychedelic, specifically psilocybin, affected for 80% of the people with treatment-resistant depression. That means these are people that have tried all the therapies and all the medications, and they've been depressed sometimes for eight, 20 years. This is helpful for 80% of them. So I've seen it be helpful for like 90% of people. And so there's different parts that we need, just looking at Maslow's model of development. Self-esteem is needed before self-actualization, and then he puts transcendence, which is a sense of purpose. And so we're constantly looking for self-esteem. That's what we're doing with our work, you know, through money, through being sexually attractive, through TikTok and, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram. We're, we're trying to get self-esteem all the time, right? Mm. And so work will give you that so long. I mean, I've seen people in very wealthy positions with high power work still being like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? and want to kill themselves, mm. right? And so there's a sense of like, of course, if you have never have the opportunity, you want to make money and feel good about yourself. But at some point that track's going to run out and it's going to become about how am I contributing to the world? Like, where's my deeper sense of meaning and purpose? Am I helping people? You know, that's what Maslow found in his hierarchy of needs at the end. It's just like, it's ultimately about service and purpose, about how am I showing and being love in the world? You know, so we do need the self-esteem enough to prove ourselves to ourselves, maybe to each other. And then it comes down to, you know, meaning comes from the impact you have on other people, hmm. you know? So it's not just, a, you, you can have all the money in the world and still feel shitty. Yeah, yeah. so no, it, it goes yeah. a little further of like, yeah, at the end of the day, you're like, you want to be happy with the way you lived your life and the, the impact you left on the planet while you're here. Mm -hmm. And like, it feels like every kind of uh, belief system almost comes like back to that true thing. <laughs> yeah.
all across the board, dude. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we are. It's because we realize that unity that we're a part of everything. And so you 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 are helping you. You know, if you create a safer environment by helping everybody around you, then you flourish. Awesome. Mm. Right. So it's breaking around from this capitalistic system that I think is causing a lot of depression. Because it creates this dog-eat-dog kind of framework of like everybody's trying to get to the top of the pyramid, but at the expense of everybody else. You know, where the CEO's making hundreds of times more than the people under them is extracting all the resources. So it's creating an unsafe environment and even more poverty. But that top-level CEO is still within this context. He's creating an unsafe street, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're really kind of coming back to the sense of unity of we actually feel better and flourish when we're in balance with helping everybody, not leaving ourselves out of the picture because we're a part of everybody, but also, you know, I want to say being an embodiment of love is ultimately what's going to feel best. Hell yeah. No, that's actually, uh, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And I know what you're saying. Like, I I think even that idea of like that capitalist idea of uh, sometimes it has like a scarcity mindset to it where you're just kind of like, you know, if I don't uh, like if I don't get it, somebody else is going to get it. And like, you know, and it's just like, Oh, if they got it, then I'm not getting, you know, and it's just kind of like, yeah. I've, I've, I've had that mindset ingrained in me for years. And I, that was something I had to like, really, really like work on to get rid of. And like, I know psychedelics right. helped with that, but it's also like an everyday, like um, just mm-hmm. being aware of those thoughts and just being aware of them and mm-hmm. kind of just telling myself like, hey, this is not helpful. It really doesn't help me. And it hurts me, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when you kind of look at it, like, hey, when we like the whole rising tide lifts all ships kind of uh, saying like that is really true. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we got to kind of look at it like more like that. And when I started doing that, everything about my life and my situation felt like it started going in a better direction nice dude congrats on freeing yourself from that because it's like we create these prisons these kind Mm -hmm. of thought patterns and belief systems and then we think that's the world we live in but you can transcend and break and dissolve those like you say structures even those neural structures Mm -hmm. you know those prisons that were pitting ourselves against each other instead of completely reframing that whole situation you could be helping them Mm-hmm. You know, it's anytime we're comparing what ourselves like ourselves to others, we're creating the state of winners and losers and ultimately shame. A lot of people walk around comparing themselves, but they're always a loser. So they're constantly beating themselves up, but it's just this mental part of themselves that keeps creating the shame. And if you're better, you're all of a sudden you think you're better than this person. How sad you just made the world worse. You, you just call this person a loser for no reason. You don't even know them. Right. So mm-hmm. anytime we're comparing, we're really creating more division within ourselves in the world. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very true. Uh, I did want to ask you a few questions I have uh, was thinking about. So I, I bet you, you know, uh, like a lot of people have said, like mushrooms have come from, you know, there's like those thoughts of like mushrooms come from outer space. Um, What's your thoughts on that like idea? Because they, they say mm-hmm. uh, a spore, and correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, a spore is like one of the things that can travel through outer space mm-hmm. and be fine. And like you can probably travel through plant to another planet. Uh, have what have you ever thought about that? Yeah, totally. So I'd say Terence McKenna has probably been my favorite philosopher, and he really focused a lot in psychedelics. And him and his brother Dennis McKenna wrote the first uh, psilocybin mushroom growers guide in the late seventies. Like like they taught the world how to grow them. And at the beginning of the book, he has four pages, and he's like, "I know this is going to sound crazy, but this is a tr- direct transmission of what the mushroom told me." And it says, "I'm a 
galactic intelligence and I travel from planet to planet. And the same way mycelium interconnects all the root systems and environment, this entangles and connects all the minds in, in the galaxy, right? And so it's it's easy for people here when they have these mushroom experiences that we have the state of kind of tapping into like the collective unconscious, you know, you know, you can give mushrooms to people and they start seeing Aztec stuff and the pyramid stuff and these Hindus and Buddhist mythologies, even though it's not part of their cultural history. And there's a lot of contact with like aliens, you know, and, and the mushroom said to him, when you're ready, when we're ready as a society, you know, I'll let you know how to build spaceships, you know, but you guys aren't there yet, ethically, you know, so, so that's definitely a viewpoint that it, it is this huge intelligence uh, that's very vastly different than our own that lives in symbiotic relationship with our consciousness and many consciousnesses, you know, throughout many planets. That being said, you know, because it's hard to know exactly if that's true. No, we're not there yet. The mushroom apparently has said that to, to him and, and Paul. Uh, uh, uh. But but my dissertation research focused on another of Terence's ideas because it was the most fascinating I ever come across. And it was the idea that psilocybin mushrooms was actually the catalyst for human evolution, right? That there's mushrooms in the Africa savannas where we developed and evolved and that humanity took them likely for millions of years. We were primates for 50 million years and hunter-gatherers for about 4 million. And there's relics of mushroom use throughout the area, right? And so the idea is that we ate them over and over from generations. We know now that it spurs new brain growth, that this was the emergence of religion, of art, of creativity, of language itself. And out of 20 years of looking at evolution and consciousness, it was the best theory of human evolution I've ever come across. So that became the heart of my dissertation and book, you know, just to really elongate of like, it's deep history, it's deep intelligence, and the impact it has on our consciousness. Damn, dude. That was so well said. Thanks, man. <laughs> I love that. And uh, yeah, Terrence is one of my favorites, too. And uh, nice. yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that whole idea and like the way you just said, like how Terrence put at the beginning of his book, that is uh, so freaking cool to even just think about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I actually always thought like, mushrooms being like something that helps our us evolve and like our brain like uh change and grow because like you were saying like there's already scientific proof that mushrooms build new neurons is that what it is that's right yeah, yeah. it's right so it's called neurogenesis the growth of new neurons it also stimulates what's known as spinogenesis which is the re-enlivening of dendrites so the dendrites being the long arms of the neurons mm -hmm. so when people get depressed those dendrites begin to atrophy and die so parts of the brains are no longer connecting and psilocybin brings those dendrites back to life so it, it heals fractured neurons and it creates the growth of new neurons jesus yeah God damn, I should go and do some tonight. <laughs> no, that's uh that's microdosing's like, wow. helpful for people too, you know, just little bounce here and there. Because mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that was a part of our ancestor stuff. They probably just ate mushrooms where they once they found them. As you keep moving around, you see mushrooms grow, you'd probably just eat them as sources of food. And then eventually you start creating rituals, you know, like, oh, okay, full moon, we're gonna take a high dose all together. You know, so mm -hmm. then you have the beginning of rituals and religions and mythologies. So yeah as long as there's a good set and setting go for it yeah yeah and like uh how you were saying like the growth of new dendrites i guess that's how it can kind of create uh help with creativity then too right and making new connections yeah i mean if we look at like just the 1960s like all the music the movies the political activisms that came out 
there's um a good book called What the Doormouse Said. I believe it's John Markoff there. He really breaks down that the entire computer revolution uh, that grew out of Silicon Valley was largely from psychedelic states, right? So mm-hmm. we have the impact of, of new technologies. I mean, just given what's happened from the 1960s now, it's, it's just this huge infusion of altered states of consciousness that really shifted things within like a 10-year period. And then it became illegal for so long and repressed, still working in the background. You know, for those that don't know, there's people that won the Nobel Prize that credit to their insights to psychedelics. So I think very soon we're going to have psychedelic therapy centers probably in every city, every major city, with probably within five years Hell because yeah. it's so effective. It's so effective. You know, so I think it's going to re-inspire us. So it's going to be like a renaissance in society. You know, I mm-hmm. really, really believe that. And uh, do you think, uh, do you think like uh, commercialization of psychedelics is going to be an issue? Because like we kind of see what it's done with weed and like uh, at the end of the day, like I live in Canada, like I'm happy weed's legal and everything. But uh, I, you know, like some of the shit they sell, it's like freaking insanity you know like it's just like uh you're like how are people taking this shit like it like i like would smoke something and just be like holy crap i just can't do this like you just sit down and comatose for the rest of the day but like what's your idea like or what do you think about like commercialization and uh like psychedelics coming out like do you think that's going to be an issue it's an issue right now. I mean, there's a lot of talks in the field constantly about it because there's a lot of pharmaceutical companies or people that are moving towards the direction to be large pharmaceutical companies coming in. Uh, there's there's some that are really trying to develop patents and try to patent everything they can. You know, the good thing is a lot something like psilocybin. It's it's natural. It's everywhere. They can't patent it directly. But people are trying to patent all these little things around it. Like, well, if I serve the mushrooms this way, I'm going to patent it and nobody else can do it. And so there's there's a lot already happening you know, we still live in a capitalistic culture and there's a lot of people that haven't taken psychedelics or enough psychedelics, you know, where they're still having this kind of old mind frame of like, I'm trying to take as much as possible. So those people, especially with a lot of money and resources are coming into the space that's happening. What I really believe in is the power of psychedelics to really transform people. And so it's it's like the Trojan horse going into the system, you know? So if these people, these CEOs eventually have a really deep ceremony, I think it has the ability to transform them more than anything else. You know, once we see that sense of interconnectivity, you naturally, again, nothing's wrong with money, but you move out of this capitalistic mind state that I'm here to gain as much. Because if you think the only thing in the world is material, physical reality, then the whole point becomes to acquire more material wealth. Mm. Which is like a dead end. At some point, like you're still really not happy, right? And so once you see there's a deeper reality that unites us, then that becomes more of a foundational place that motivates us and where we move from. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it should be like a law. Like if you're going to invest in psychedelics, you have to take them. That's part of the game. I love that. That's we're fucking sure, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, law has to shift right now. The law for people to become trained as psychedelic therapists and guides is that they don't have to have a psychedelic experience, right? Because it's illegal. So it's strange that people might be getting trained in this kind of modality, never have them done a psychedelic, you know, it's, it's, it's like, they're supposed to be a guide and they don't even know the territory. And the main reason people don't take it because it, it is effective is they're scared. Well, that's something that I think they got to work through before, you know, coming in. But I'd love if that was also applied to business, you know, like you have to have done a certain amount of psychedelic journeys in the right kind of way to start a psychedelic business, be a venture capitalist in the area, start an organization, 
you know, really take in the medicine before you're trying to bring it out to the rest of the world. Hell yeah. Oh man. That dude, this was a uh, freaking such an awesome uh, episode. I really, really appreciate mm. you coming on. I got uh, one more question for you. So Jahan, mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. yay or nay. <laughs> Love it for sure. It's a yay. You know, and as I mentioned, like I was an atheist and it's one of those things where, you know, 65% of people in the right setting setting with psilocybin have a mystical experience, you know, and so now we have a very kind of scientific approach towards this, you know, this is, it's, it's like, is God real? It's just like, well, is Italy real? It's some concept if you've never been there, but if you go there, you have this lived experience It's in your body, it's in your memory, it's in your being, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, and so that's something that's now available to us that hasn't really been to this degree before. So I'm a big yay. My idea of God has radically changed, but <laughs> you know, there, there's now a, a method that we can really follow that doesn't take decades of meditation to get to. Yeah, amazing. All right, buddy. Uh, let my audience know. Uh, yeah, guys, get the book, uh, the psilocybin connection, and uh, yeah, let them know where they can get the book. Let them know anything else you mm-hmm. want to promote. Uh, please do it now. Thank you so much. Yeah, the book, The Psilocybin Con- uh, Connection, is um, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution on the Planet. It's found on all the platforms and in all the formats. So it's on Audible also. It's in the Kindle version. And my website's psychedelicevolution.org. Awesome. And I'll uh, I'll put that in the, in the bio for everyone. And do you uh, run uh, like therapy sessions that people can like... Uh jump on is that how it works yeah you could definitely check out my website for more information and then also i'll be going out in two weeks to jamaica to lead a couple um retreats with Othman retreats so i go over there once in a while we do 12 people at a time and i stay there for back-to-back retreats so i'll, I'll be there pretty soon yeah sick all right guys uh, so I'll, I'll toss all that in the in the bio and uh yeah jahan thank you so much for doing this buddy It was a delight, dude. It's so fun being here with you. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.